Who loves the Word of God? I mean, just, there's a reason why it's called the bread of life. You know what I mean? It's man shall not live by bread alone, but every good word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. You know, every single, this isn't even my mouth. I feel like we're going somewhere today. All right. Every single word in this book, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every single word in this book carries the very life of God in it. It's the very power in life of God, which is transformational. And so that's why we can feast upon this thing. That's why when we receive it, it literally nourishes us in our soul and in our spirit in a place that nothing else can do. And you walk away feeling just filled and strengthened because you've just been nourished by a heavenly source. Amen? Amen. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to start there today. This is a great story. Many of you have read it, probably know it. Uh, It's about a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees and the crowd are dragging her out, and they're ready to stone her, and Jesus enters the scene. So let's read starting out in verse 2. Early in the morning, Jesus came into the temple, and all of the people came to Him. That's powerful right there, right? Jesus comes, the people come to Him. Like, we draw near to Jesus, He draws near to us. Anyway, so they came to the temple, uh, and the people came to Him. He sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to Him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to Him, Teacher, This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? Then this they said to him, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him throw a stone at her first. And then again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with oldest to the last. And then Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And then Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask for God, a move of your Spirit in this place today. We we submit to you, Holy Spirit. In fact, we, we desire you. We desire you to move in this place, God, in a way where we can be undone where you can increase while we decrease. We desire that. We're here for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you just anoint me in these moments ahead to speak your word and preach your word in a way that goes forth and transforms lives like only the living word of God can do. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I love this story, and every time I read this story, there's always like a couple of thoughts or questions that I ask or that I wonder. You know that list of like things you're going to ask Jesus when you get to heaven? Not the only one that has that? Seriously? Like all the, you know, the questions like, hey, in, the, in the word, these things, like I'm not sure about that. I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven because it's not completely clear when you read the Bible. And, you know, one of the things that I always think about when I read this story 
is like, why do the Pharisees insist on debating Scripture with Jesus? You know, like, why do they, they come at him, well, you know, the Bible says Jesus. I mean, I can't imagine Jesus like, I know, I wrote the thing. <laughs> you know, like, you're trying to stump him. Don't debate Scripture with Jesus. It never ends well. The second thing I think about when I read the story is, and the, they, they bring the woman that's caught in adultery out, uh, is, where's the dude? You know, amen, ladies, right? You know, that lady's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Where's the guy? I mean, last time I checked, it takes two to tango, you know, where's the dude? I mean, if they were really serious about the law, if, if what they're trying to make themselves out to look like were really true, that they were zealous for righteousness, there'd be two people in the street. You with me? What does that say? I mean, we know from just what Jesus speaks about, it kind of opens up their heart and see the condition of their heart here, that they're, they're really not zealous for righteousness at all. What they're zealous for is condemnation. They're zealous to bring judgment upon this woman and to sentence her to death. And, and Jesus takes this opportunity, like he always does, not only to bring healing and forgiveness to a woman in need, but also to open the eyes of the crowd to see the error of their ways as well. Jesus is so good at these things, right? I mean, he's perfect. He's the pro. They, they come into him with a situation that seemingly he can't get out of. They've trapped him. They think we've got him now. We've pinned him down. Because they've boxed him in in this place, Randy, where there's only one of two scenarios here. So they think. Either merciful Jesus, who's loving and caring, is going to sentence her to death because the law says that she's guilty of adultery and be stoned. And then he's not going to be the mercy, compassionate Jesus anymore that he tries to claim to be. Or, he's going to forgive this woman, he's going to, to see this woman not sentenced to death, and he's going to disrespect the law, and the law of the prophets and of Moses, and then we'll be able to, you know, condemn him that way. So it's one of these two things, and they're just like itching at the bit. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? What are you going to do about that, Jesus? And their haughtiness, I mean, they're, they're in this place where they feel like they've got the Savior of the world pinned down. But am I the only person that recognizes that so many times when you feel boxed in, when you feel like there's only two options and neither one are going to work, that Jesus always has a third option? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's always got a third option, another option, and it's an option that comes flowing right out of heaven with the wisdom of God that penetrates a situation and cuts through the wisdom of man. God, you know, we, we need the wisdom of God, heavenly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, to walk in these ways that God is leading us into. And that's the situation. They think they've got him pinned down. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible, when you read them, it's easy or fun to kind of like put yourself in that scene. You think about Peter in the boat, right? When Peter 
steps out of the boat and he has a musters up a measure of faith and walks on the water with Jesus. I mean, it's an awesome story. And we think, yeah, I, I want to have faith like that. Yes, I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to walk on water with Jesus. I could see myself in that place. This isn't really one of those stories that is easy for us to do. I mean, yeah, we see Jesus. We're, we love Jesus. He's Savior, merciful. He forgives her. But, you know, the woman, no, I mean, she's caught in an adulterous act. I mean, we're happy that she gets mercy from Jesus, but no, we don't want to relate to that. And the Pharisees, you know, they're so condemning and so judgmental, and we just kind of despise them. But, but what if, perhaps, there were some characteristics, some things about these people in this story, that if we're honest might actually be able to, we might be able to relate to a little bit more than we think. You know, these things about condemning and about judging this woman, dragging her out into the street, like they can't wait to, to sentence her. And many times, if we're not careful, a spirit of judgment, of self-righteousness or a critical spirit can begin to set in and begin to sort of affect and lead us in our lives in the way that we handle other people. I mean, is anybody honest enough today to admit that there's perhaps a moment in time where there's somebody that you don't necessarily like all that well or maybe has kind of hurt you that you want to see them get what they deserve? Or something happens, thank you for the one hand, praise God. <laughs> Work on honesty next. All right, note to self. Talk on honesty next. All right. You know, and, and or, or something, uh, something, you see someone else get, get blessed or someone that you're maybe unhappy with or that's hurt you, is something good starts happening. And, you know, it's the whole, oh, praise God, I'm happy for them. Yeah, well, thank you, Lord. Not really, but, you know. I mean, I think a critical spirit, a condemning spirit, a judging spirit, I mean, I think that kind of works in all of those ways. And Jesus, he sets them straight. He says, okay, true, she's guilty. The law does say she should be put to death for adultery. Yes, and she's right here. She's not, you notice that the woman didn't say like, I didn't do it, Lord, I didn't do it. They got the wrong person. You know, so she was caught in the very act. I'm not entirely sure. This is conjecture, which means this is, you read it and you feel like this, there's a, this could have possibly been the case, right? That's a, a, a view on things. So this is conjecture. But I think that those Pharisees were hunting her down. Because how do you catch them in the very act? I think they were probably waiting, spying, waiting for their moment because they had to have actually went into the house and drug her out of there if she was caught in the very act. You know what I'm saying? And so they're real zealous about this kind of condemnation. Jesus says, okay, here's how we're going to settle this. Third option, right? If you have no sin, then by all means, throw a stone. Whoever here is without sin, then you have every right to bring judgment and condemnation upon this woman. Now, the amazing thing is, is that truthfully, Jesus is the only one qualified to do that. He's the righteous judge. The Bible speaks of that because he's the only one without sin. 
So he is asking them to do that if they're without sin, yet he himself is the only one that's actually qualified to do that. But I love what it says. It says when he said that, that they were convicted, mean pierced oh, in their heart. We need to get pierced by conviction. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us about error in our ways in, in such a way, not where we're kind of like, oh, I mean, I'll think about that, but it pierces us to the heart. Tears us like it tears God. Like, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. He says, if you're, if you're without sin, then throw the first stone. And what happens? They all start dropping the stones. And they walk away convicted in their conscience because they know what if we're honest, we would all say that we should know as well, which is that every single one of us are guilty. Every single one of us are guilty of sin. The Bible says that there are, the, the, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what you have to understand is that every person that enters the world, born by way of the womb, enters the world under the curse of sin and death, the condition of sin. So we all need mercy. Every single one of us are in the same boat where we need that infinite mercy that is only available from a loving father who is willing to sacrifice his son so that we could have that. And let me just kind of paraphrase this in today, maybe our language today. Jesus brings us all out and there's somebody, whoever that is, that's hurt you, that's wounded you, and, and you know, you're, you're dragging them out. We're dragging them out here on Park Street right now. And Jesus is right there. We're walking out. You say, Jesus, this person, that person, they did this. They did that, Lord. They need to get it. Lord, let's, let's make sure they get what they deserve. And Jesus says, okay. Whoever here is perfect, let him make the first Facebook post. <laughs> Go ahead, share it, comment, retweet it. Go ahead. If you're perfect, by all means, let them have it on social media. Tell the world everything that's wrong with them and what they did to you and what they deserve to get. Oh, am I speaking to anybody besides myself today? Come on. And Jesus just cuts through the fog of this situation I mean we guys we're not predisposed you got to understand to just act like Jesus but he gives us his spirit so that he we can be empowered to live like him think about it even some of his best bros John and James two of the disciples that were some of the strongest even them you know how they were they responded Nancy in one situation they called the sons of thunder. And it wasn't because whenever they spoke that like it was lightning and raining around them. They called them the sons of thunder because they were so passionate, which is awesome for the Lord, but sometimes that passion kind of caused them to be a little bit reckless. One time, Jesus sent them into a village of Samaritans to go and kind of like pave the way, seed the soil ahead of time before he came in to preach and announce himself. And so John and James came back, sons of thunder, said, Jesus... We went, we told them about you, Jesus, and you know what happened? They didn't hear us, Jesus. They wouldn't receive it. They would not hear the words of eternal life, Jesus. Lord, you want us to just call down fire from heaven right now and just fry them all? 
That's what they said. We'll call down fire just like Elijah did. Let's just burn him up, Lord. Let's just burn him up right now. And, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, settle down, thunder. You know, take it easy there, boys. I, I, I actually didn't come to condemn the world. I, I came so that the world through me might be saved. You know, I, I actually came to, to seek and save the lost. You know, I didn't, I didn't come with a message of condemnation. I came with a message of mercy and of hope and forgiveness. If we're going to get through to the world, that's going to be the message that we're going to have to bring. Now, you have to understand that the time of judgment, which is when all is settled and all are in the rightful place for eternity, it's coming. Like the time of judgment is coming. When Jesus returns, He judges the world. He brings judgment at that time. This is so remarkable. If you think about this, we live in a time, a dispensation of era, so to speak, as scholars would call that, where we live under the age of grace and of mercy. So it's like there's a blanket of mercy that's just abounding right now over the entire earth. And that's what Jesus was letting them see, helping them to understand is that there's mercy that's available because if it weren't, then we would all get what we deserve and that wouldn't end good for any of us. But praise God, we are under a time of mercy where God's mercy is available to us all and if we will receive that, if we'll see that it's there for us, then we can receive forgiveness and actually inherit eternal life and walk in a way now where the judgment that's yet to come of everlasting condemnation, we are spared from that. But praise God that we live in a time of mercy. And folks, what I just want to say to that before I make my next point is that we need to offer the world this same kind of mercy which has been offered to us. How hypocritical, like that was the whole thing of the Pharisees, they were hypocrites. How hypocritical to have this mercy available, to have received this unconditional forgiveness and go out and put anything out on social media or point a finger or throw a stone. There's a different way and Jesus was showing us that. I, I never forget one time, this was a spring break, um, so if you have kids, they might want to leave the room right now. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Spring break, and uh, I went with some friends. We went down to South Padre Island. And uh, we went down there, and we were on the beach, hanging out that night, doing things we shouldn't have been doing, and all that kind of stuff. And there's this guy that is on the beach, this older guy. And so we start talking to him. We find out that he's a local and he's real nice. He's real friendly. He's telling us about all the places around there. And this guy's just a really cool guy, you know, and just something about this guy. And so we continue just com having conversations for, I don't know, an hour or whatever. And eventually the guy says, okay, well, I got to go. It was great meeting you guys. Great talking to you. Have a wonderful time and all that. Just great guy, you know. And he, he grabs his towel and picks up his bundle of towels and he just kind of like walks off so I don't know about five ten minutes go by and we're getting ready to head out of there and I'm looking for my shoes and I can't find my shoes anywhere on the beach and I'm like this is unbelievable these are brand new shoes like I just got these I, shoes I don't have my shoes where'd they go I'm looking around I uh, just you know oh. and so I'm looking for my shoes they're not there and I think that guy 
He had a bundle of towels in his, under his arm. He snuck my shoes. I can't believe that guy. He took my shoes. He put them under the towel, rolled them up, and he, he stole my shoes. So they're like, well, let's, there's, I saw a cop up there walking around. Let's go tell the cops. Let's get him, you know. So, yeah, we're going to get this guy. So I run up and I tell the cops, hey, we were just down there. There's this old guy, you know, he was really nice, but he actually stole my shoes. He's walking out. He's like, all right, well, he, hey, we're going to have a situation down here. And so here comes the car, right? They pull up. And, this, and so I, I run and I finally get to it and I'm watching the whole thing go down. I'm like, I'm going to get my shoes back, you know? And so they pin this guy up against the fence, you know, and like, okay, they check him and everything. And, and so and I'm like, it's in the towel, in the towel. You know, and so the cop's like, okay, you know, so he picks up the thing, he unrolls the towel, and out falls a football. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and this guy looked at me. I mean, we were probably 50 yards away from each other, but somehow he was up, he, and he just kind of looked at me, and his eyes locked with my eyes, and I've never seen so much pain and sorrow in a person's face. I was like, he's like, it was almost as if he was saying, I can't believe you did this to me. I didn't do anything to you. And I thought, man, this guy was innocent the whole time. And I was so quick to like condemn this guy, you know, to see him punished. And he was so kind and so nice. And here's how I repay him with that, you know. And I thought, man, isn't this true? Like we, a lot of times we think we've been wronged. And we see things like through our own personal lens. It's just easy to do that, to not see it from a bigger picture perspective. But if we get back and see the whole picture, you know what? Many times when we, when we feel like people have hurt us or we've been wrong, there are many times way more going on with the story than we ever realize. And that person is, t is, is rarely guilty of the crime that we want to sentence them to. And just see that, that mercy that Jesus projects over this situation. And then when she, this woman, who's in this street, it's like all of a sudden the accusers leave and it says that she, Jesus stands up and so they're looking at each other face to face. And then he says, woman, where are your accusers? Is there anyone here that's condemning you now? And she says, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. I think there's something really powerful in this that it was almost like Jesus waited until all of the accusers got out of the way. It, it was almost like they were in between Jesus and this woman in the street. And, and the woman was just hearing all of these yells. She's guilty, adulteress, killer, stoner. And it's like Jesus first settled the issue of you're all guilty. None of you are without sin. None of you are qualified to throw a stone. And then they all left, and now he's in a situation where he's able to stare, look at this woman and speak to her face to face. And let me just tell you something. There are a lot of times where the enemy will use people to accuse you, to speak to you with accusations. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're a fake. You're a phony. You're not who you say you are. And while all of these accusations are going on, it makes it difficult if we're listening to them to really hear the words of our loving Savior. 
And let Jesus clear those voices out of the way. Let him move those people out from in between you and him and silence those naysayers, those accusers, so that you can hear a message of truth that can penetrate through to your heart that says, I love you, I've forgiven you, I want to make you whole, I want you to live in freedom. And that woman is able to hear this and receive this in a way that changes her entire life after that. But every single one of those people were in no different of a situation. Maybe they weren't caught in the very act of adultery, but the Bible doesn't go as far as to qualify sin. You understand that? It's not like, okay, well, this sin, we're going to rank this sin here. Like, this is the, the worst one. And then there's some sin here. It's not going to go real good, but that's not as bad. The Bible, sin is just sin. And the, way, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. Which means if we walk in sin and continue to walk in sin, yes, if we aren't saved, then we'll experience spiritual death. But even after we've received the Spirit of Christ in our heart, if we continue to walk in sin, the wages of that sin is death, meaning it will destroy anything and everything that it touches in our lives. It's just a matter of time before it mounts and builds its stronghold in the place that we give it to where it starts to bring increasing levels of destruction. It never stays idle. And so what, we, what this woman received was not only forgiveness and mercy, but I think maybe it's the final words that Jesus leaves her with that pierce me the most, David. I think it's these final words that when I read this story, I literally just almost weep with thankfulness for what God has done for me. It's these words where he says, sin no more. In other translations, it, it says, leave your lifestyle of sin. So you have to understand, Jesus, yes, was offering forgiveness. He was offering mercy. He was offering grace. But don't be deceived to think that in any way he was making light of sin. He says, now that you've seen this, now that you've received this, go and sin no more. Don't fall back into a trap or a lifestyle of sin that will entangle you because you've just been liberated and set free from the bondages of that because of my forgiveness. Isn't that something? And here's what I found, guys, is that Jesus didn't just offer her forgiveness. He didn't just call her to obedience, sin no more. He gave her the solution to do it. He actually empowered her. He empowers us, let me say it, to live victoriously over sin. Yeah. And I think if there's one message I want to convey to you today, it's that you can live in victory over sin. In fact, that's really the picture that gives the witness of Christ some of the most credible evidence to a lost and dying world is that a person who follows Jesus is not bound up in bondage and living in sin like the rest of the world, but actually demonstrating a life that proves victory over sin where they literally can walk in victory and not allow the sins and the temptations that once dogged their trail to keep them in bondage and enslaved to that anymore once they receive that forgiveness and, and are empowered with God's Spirit to live that out. 
But you know, you cannot, you cannot resist sin in your own strength. You cannot fight the devil by way of the natural man. Has anybody got a witness to that? I mean, I, I remember there were times after I got saved and I was walking with the Lord and I, you know, I, was, I wanted Jesus' plan for my life. I wanted His will for my life. But man, there were some areas in my life that God still had to deal with. There were some addiction issues that I was still struggling with. There were some uh, real challenges with lust that I was struggling with. And that's just me being real with you today. Like, I love Jesus, but these things were still really wrecking my life and wreaking havoc. And the destruction that I talked about earlier was already setting in, and I could see that. But there was something very different that had happened once I came to Jesus, is that once I saw Him and I saw His mercy and His forgiveness, and then I was, was convicted, then I, I didn't see sin the same way anymore. It wasn't something that was pleasurable. It wasn't something that was desirable. It was something that was tempting me that I had to fight against. But there was a new sort of spirit about me that when I saw that something I did was grieving the heart of a loving father who died to forgive me, it, it wrecked me. It, made me in a, it left me in a place where I just could not, I, I couldn't keep going that way. And that's what I think that conviction does to us is it helps us to see that when we err and we sin that we're we're grieving the heart of our loving father and then that produces a spirit of repentance in us that leads to forgiveness and then empowers us to be able to walk in victory once those chains have been broken amen but you can't fight that in the natural man you can't keep trying to resist the temptations of the enemy in your own willpower, in your own you know, self-discipline, you have to have a heavenly source, a spiritual source of power that's greater than the force you're up against in order to achieve victory in that thing. So you can't keep looking to sources for something that are never going to provide that for you. Does that make sense? I've got one of my best buddies in the whole world here today visiting with us is Pastor Mike, and uh, one time, I'm just going to tell this funny story, we were going to the gym to uh, get a membership and, and work out, you know, so we went to the gym and the fitness center, and clearly you can see I stuck with it and he didn't, and anyway, but, <laughs> so we're there, and uh, he probably tells this funnier than I do, actually, so we're there, and I'm like, hey, so where's the sauna, you know, like, where's the sauna, you guys have a sauna? And this lady's there at the counter, and she's like, uh, no, sir, we don't, we don't have a sauna. And for whatever reason, I thought I saw a sign or something that said, like, there was a sauna there. And I'm like, are you sure you guys don't, you know, like, there's not a sauna here? And she's like, uh, no, sir, I work here. I, no, there's not a sauna here, you know. <laughs> and so, and then finally, I'm just kind of like, we're settling everything. And I'm just kind of like walking around, and I'm looking, and Pastor Mike's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, no, he's like, you're looking for a sauna, aren't you? <laughs> I'm like, well, he's like, dude, she just told you like three times there's no sauna here. So finally, we concluded that there was no sauna. <laughs> Mystery solved. But my point is, is sometimes we just keep looking for things 
looking for source from, from something that we know is not there and it's never going to be there and we need to let go of that and we need to move on and recognize the power to walk in victory in, over sin is available to you from the very same Savior that, that rescues us from the bondage of that. He gives us a spirit of power in order to endure in our faith and live victoriously over sin every single day of our lives. Will we be tempted? Yes, we will. But can we achieve victory instead of remaining in bondage and entangled to that thing so that the enemy has his way and begins to dismantle the works of God in our life? We most certainly can. And as I was fighting these areas of sinfulness in my life early on, I'll never forget one day I was just reading and I mean I was desperate. I didn't know how to fight this thing. And I was reading the Bible, and it was James chapter 4, verse 7. Very simple scripture. It just says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Simple scripture, right? But God just hit me and spoke to me so powerfully in this moment. He said, Matt, do you see that it first says, submit to me, and then resist the devil? You are trying to resist him in your own strength. And it's not working. And it was like all of a sudden, this aha moment, this revelation dropped in my spirit. And I realized I can't fight this thing on my own. It was almost like I knew God had saved me. I knew he was calling me to a life of obedience. But it just never really occurred to me that he would also give me the power to resist and have victory over sin when it was dogging my trail. And I said, okay, Lord, I get it now. And I just started, anytime the temptation would come, and I kid you not, I could feel it coming on. I could feel it like entering the room. And I knew that it was going to, like it was getting ready to set that trap for me that I had fell into so many other times before. And I could feel that happening. And I just started praying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, that was my way of submitting to God. I just set my eye on things of the Spirit and not on the flesh. I pointed my eyes to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Help me. Jesus, I don't want to do this. Jesus, help me, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And as I did, and I poured my heart out to Him, I just submitted myself like this humble man, this wretched man that I am in need of God's power. In a moment, at some point, it was like I could just feel God's grace, God's power flood in and the desire to sin, the, the desire to do that thing just began to leave and it didn't seem appealing, it didn't seem fun, it didn't seem like anything I wanted to do and then I could literally feel the forces of evil begin to flee the room. I could feel like those evil spirits beginning to just back off in position of proximity in my life. It's almost like God said, okay, you got it now. And he came in and he drew a hedge of protection like a fence around me in this area of my life that I was in. And said, you ain't coming in here anymore, Satan. You ain't coming in anymore. And over and over and over again, just continued to achieve victory on top of victory on top of victory. 
to the point where I can tell you honestly, it's been years. I haven't even had thoughts. I haven't even had struggles in those things like I did before. My point is, is that you can achieve a level of victory that the things which tempted you no longer entice you. And it's the ways of the Lord and the path that God has you on that feeds your spirit, keeps you strong, and, and just constantly uh, pulls at your desire and affection more than sin will do. And that's the place that we need to get into, is where we are, are honest with ourselves about the destruction that sin will bring. Folks, because if we're not, we will not be as aggressive as we need to be about running those things out of our lives. We have to see it for the evil that it is and have that same conviction so that we don't just play around with these things. We don't just kind of sort of casually think maybe we'll deal with this or you know, put a band-aid on it. We need to see it for what it is so that we can literally call upon the force of our Heavenly Father to bring that power to us to run these things out of our lives once and for all. And then we live in a place of freedom and a victory which is the greatest place for us to live. It's the way that God has created us to walk with Him is in a place of liberty and freedom every single day. Sin comes knocking at your door. Temptation comes knocking at your door. And you have a fight that you can bring against that. Let me just read these few verses out of Romans chapter 6 as I close. Paul says, verse 1, What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin now? And just let grace abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He's saying, look, this, the, the, the law of sin and death that you were enslaved to before Christ came and forgave you, that's dead now. That's been buried with Christ. And you've been risen to life. So as sin has been put to death in your body, then you need to put sin to death in your everyday life as you walk in this world and it tries to lure you in. He goes on to say in verse 11, Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, you get that? And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. For sin shall not rule you, but you shall rule over it. Is how it says in another translation. Let me just repeat that one more time. For sin does not have the power to, cannot if you don't allow it to, rule over you and enslave you to it as your master. But you can rule over sin and have authority over that by the power that's been given to you. Hallelujah. Can anybody praise God for that today? That Yes. We live in a, in a world and in a time that's luring and tempting everyone all the time to fall into these traps, to be ensnared in these traps. And God's saying, I've given you the ability to walk in victory over that. And let's be open before the Lord to allow Him to convict us, 
to allow us to be convicted because it, the Bible says that His goodness leads us to repentance. And when we see how good He is, how merciful, how much He's forgiven us from, how much of an amazing purpose and destiny that He's created us for, then it produces a life that's just so desiring what God wants for us that sin is no longer going to be enticing and attractive the way that it once was when we were under that law of sin and death before. Amen.